That was that was a you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Anyway, excuse me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she did what in she had an accent, you didn't go to tea, honey. <laughs> what did you say? You don't have a cool accent? What does it matter when you're sucking dick? Nobody wants to see anyway. Nobody's going, well, you got a really great accent. <laughs> That's a great accent, if you ask me. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast here. My name is Tony Mazur. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the podcast. And uh, if you're on Patreon, uh, thank you for subscribing. If you're interested in more content, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. You get three bucks a month. You get unlimited amount of podcasts with audio only. Five bucks gets you video and audio, and then 10 bucks gets you extra content. And uh, early access to guests such as my guest today, which is Christy Miller. She has a new album coming out called Brutally Yours, or it's, is it out now, actually? It's out now, yes. March 24th, it came out. Okay, perfect. Yes, there she is. If you're watching on the video on YouTube and Rumble there, and she's my guest today. Christy, it's great to talk to you here. No, thanks for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. Wait, first things first, before I get into talking about comedy, fitness, all that, I got to mm -hmm. ask you about another album that you appeared on. <laughs> I have to ask you about this. Yes, my infamous Andrew Dice Clay cover. So so for folks who uh, aren't watching right now or listening on the podcast, Andrew Dice Clay back in 2000, this was kind of his comeback album because yes. he did the, yes. he, you know, he, he was the Dice Man back in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Then he did mm -hmm. that weird like uh that like yeah, this one's for the ladies and i'm gonna sing i'm gonna do Elvis. yeah it's valentine's <laughs> day yeah and then yeah. <laughs> then he decided by the end of the 90s like now nah, i'm gonna go back to being the dice man again so he came out with this cd called face down ass up and uh, you happen to be one of the ladies on this album right now i am i'm the black girl in the middle good night <laughs> <laughs> no i'm the fat bitch on the right with the pale skin <laughs> well you but but you're not obviously not fat but it's it's one of those classics it's like you know you got the tan girl you got the black girl and then you got the lighter skin white girl but everybody you know yeah it's okay uh, how did you get into it? Talk about that. Okay. Andrew and I have been friends for, like, I've been in stand up for 27 years and I've known him since the day I started. And he's like family to me. So back in the day when he was doing this album and this tour, he calls my house. And this is back when we had landlines. You kids don't know what a landline is. Okay. Go fuck yourselves. And, <laughs> and I get home from the gym and I check my voicemail. You got to dial into the voicemail and I hear, Christy, it's dice. Call me back. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, what do you want, you fucking asshole? So I call him back. I go, what's up? He goes, not even, hey, how are you, girl? What's happening? Nothing. How do you feel about showing your ass? <laughs> I go to who? <laughs> On the cover. Like, like, I, like I'm supposed to know. I go, I don't know. I go, it looks good for a girl, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? He goes, you're doing it. I want you on the cover. So I did. So he goes, where should we shoot it? And I said, well, I currently had a show at this club on Sunset Boulevard called the Cat Club. 
I did yep. Wednesday nights there. It was called, it was Christy Miller. It was a one woman wrecking crew and her two male bitches. And my two male bitches were Sam Tripoli and CVD. And we did oh, shows God. there all the time. So they were, yeah, <laughs> this is, I'm dating myself here. So was it, was this coked up Sam? Oh no, this was cool. Sam. This was before he went crazy in tinfoil. This was fun. Sam, he just cut his hair off. He had really long hair when I first met him. This and, this was when this was when he got in the comedy store when uh, Mitzi Shore got him on just because he's Armenian. Like, yeah, hey, you're kind yes. of a minority. Oh, I don't have any Armenians. You're good, you know. So, <laughs> oh, god, he's Armenian. Armenian night here from I'm race, you know, like whatever. So, <laughs> we do the show. So, uh, who owned the Cat Club was this guy Jimmy, this mob guy, and Slim Jim from the Stray Cats, and slim it was all like leopard really cool club it was such a cool spot we did i did wednesdays there they had a jam session thursdays with like the guys from guns and roses la guns you know you name it they were all hanging out there jam and stray cats they had jam sessions it was the funnest club so dice goes where should we do it i want a place that's really cool and kind of you know hip and stuff i said well you know slim jim phantom has the cat club he goes I know Slim. And I said, of course you do, you fucking prick. <laughs> so I go over to Slim and I call him up and I'm like, hey, Dice wants to shoot his album cover. And I thought this would be a good spot for it. He goes, oh, yeah, come in the daytime. I'm just here doing the bookkeeping. He goes, my kids play soccer with his kids. It's fine. It, Dice, I'll do anything for him. So that's how we set it up. So with that white backdrop was like that white paper that was on mm. the stage. And behind it was like really cool, like leopard and stuff. And if you look at the inside of the cover of all those two girls are porn stars. And okay. then me. So the girl you. on the left, the white girl on the left is Christy Swanson. She was a big porn star back then. The girl I in remember the middle, her, yeah. Yeah. And the girl in the middle, that's Midori. Okay. And that's and Midori, for those of you who don't know, she was Jody Watley's sister. Remember Jody Watley? Yes. From the 90s. So I was calling her Jody Twatley all day and she was dying. <laughs> so and the funny thing is Dice, he's such a gentleman and he's such he's such like a close friend and I love him. He was making he's like, you're not doing any of the dirty shit. I'm only making the who do it. You're a, you're my friend. You're classy. And I go, am I really? And <laughs> <laughs> bitch. So in between takes, he would stand in front of me and open up his coat and wouldn't let anybody look at me. I go, Dice, it's OK. It's nobody's looking. Everybody's working. This isn't that kind of shoe. You know, we're laughing. So that's how the album cover came out. And uh, and, and uh, last year I was in Florida with him doing shows and he surprised me with a bunch of old face down ass up concert shirts that he had when he went on tour. Oh, I didn't great. even know those existed. So now I have a bunch of those. Now, I saw Dice a couple of years ago. And, you know, like I said, he he went through his ups and downs in his career, but he is really latched onto this like grandpa. Like he's. You it's Dice like, I don't know what I'm doing. I got work. a smartphone and I'm like, he's going up to random people going like another person with a picture. You want to take a picture with me? Yeah. Are you the one who wanted the picture? But he <laughs> like Dice is the king of pranks. This guy, as long as I've known him, constantly pranking people before smartphones, before any of this shit, he would prank the shit out of people constantly. And it's hilarious to watch he, him. Like fans would like, cause when Dice was down and the quiet, like after he did the Valentine's day, cause he was trying to redeem himself as a, because he got, he's like one of the first comics that really got canceled. Mm -hmm. You know, the gay community came after him for all his, 
you know, all his gay jokes and they tried to shut him down and Hollywood really shut down on him. Yeah. MTV, really, Laura Dunn, all that. Everybody shut down on him. And he's like the nicest guy in the world. He would give you the, he's just the, the and one of the hardest working comics I've ever worked with in my life. And it hurt him. So he took, so he would come to the comedy store every night. This is when I first got there back in 95 and I would see him every night working and we got really close and I'm like watching this man do an hour in front of like two people It's during the comedy drop when nobody went to clubs anymore. Dice is so committed. He would stare at this piece of the wall in the back of the original room at the comedy store and just commit to the joke and no reaction. I'm in the back crying like doubled over because it's Mm -hmm. hysterical because there's nobody there and he's committed. He's such a, he's such a pro. But like going on the road with him now, we did the palsy shows uh, like a year and a half ago for his documentary. And uh, then we did some other shows last year that Eleanor couldn't be a part of. So I'm the side chick, basically. You know, Eleanor oh, yeah. Kerrigan's his main opener and I'm the side chick. <laughs> so um, which is fine. And uh, but it, watching him, he goes, remember back in the day? I was like such a cartoon character. I go, well, you still are, but you kind of. And after 45 years, you've kind of grown into yourself. Like you caught up to your act because you had this big act when you were starting out and you took 45 years to grow into that act. Now you're 45 years in. So your act is a 45 year old man, but it's cool to watch you be Andrew Dice Clay, as opposed mm-hmm. to the Dice Man. And it's so hilarious. I think he's brilliant. I just, I love him. I think he's as funny as fuck. And it's just, uh, he's just an amazing human. Him going to random gyms with Eleanor Kerrigan, just just annoying her. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's so funny. Yeah, he's the king. He's the king. He comes up with shit. I'm like, really? He'll call me at like two in the morning. What do you think of this? And I'm like, you're retarded. And then it becomes like the biggest thing. And I'm like, why do I even question him? I just go, yeah, that's hysterical. Because I know anything he comes up with is going to be big. And everybody's catching on to the picture thing. I've, I've talked to I've talked to Florentine about this and uh-huh. there's the classic story. And I know, you know, this where mm-hmm. Florentine and Jim Norton went out to the comedy store. They went out to do some you know, in the 90s trying to get development deals and everything. Yep. That development I remember when they were there. Yep. And so they go to the comedy store for folks who don't know the story. Obviously, Jim and Jim, they went up as Jim and Jim. They were huge yes, they fans did. of not only Dice, but Dice's album, The Day the Laughter Died. Greatest. I told Andrew, I go, it's the greatest comedy album ever recorded. He goes, why? I go, because you <laughs> bombed for two hours and you committed to bombing. You just did the garden dice rules. You mm-hmm. sold out the garden. You're the biggest thing in standup. Now you're at danger fields with like 22 people bombing. And it's the greatest thing I ever heard. And it shows how humble you are. And that then that vulnerable side to you that you could go up and bomb and release a hit record with it. But it, and it was a Rick Rubin album too. Yes, it was. Yeah, and he puts that out of a, an album of him bombing. I mean, like you said, he's at the Garden. He goes to Danger Fields when all of the Dice fans are over at the Garden. They're like, "Yeah, all right, we'll go home. We'll hit the bars and everything in Manhattan." Instead, he goes over to Danger Fields, bombs, puts out an album, puts out a second album too. Uh-huh. But if you were a true comic, you knew these jokes that he was saying. And oh, I was screaming when I listened to it. Oh, it's the ultimate comics comic album yep and so uh i i guess florentine and norton were there at the comedy store they run into dice they're like we're huge fans we know 
the day the laughter died were like cover to cover in the album. So he's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, why don't you go up and uh, go up and do that? So they go up on stage doing Dice's jokes <laughs> from that album. And of course they bomb only person on stage who's or only person in the la- audience Dice is crying. Dice. Yeah, he's dying laughing in the back. Yeah, I remember when they came out. It was so hilarious. But yeah, it's just, and then Jimmy ended up opening for him on the Face Down Ass Up Tour. Yep. And yeah, uh, he- that's when I met Jim Norton was, uh, we had the record release party and Jimmy opened, Jim Norton opened for him. And uh, that was a fun night. So that you was- had your, uh, you were doing your shows out in the, on the strip. Uh, so I, I, I guess, how'd you, how did you get into comedy? I, I know it's kind of, it sounds like a hacky question, but everything, but you're out in LA and you came back to New York. Like how'd this journey go with comedy? Um, I was born and raised in California, so I'm from the Bay Area, and I moved to L.A. with my best friend, and we were getting into acting. And I've wanted to do stand-up since I was about seven years old. Like when Showtime came out, it was a primetime channel, and then HBO came out a couple years later as like they showed comedy specials and movies, and it was all primetime shit. So it I was would like watch Robert the- Klein. It was like early. It was like Robert Klein and, of course, Rodney by the mid-80s. Uh-huh. Exactly. And and that was when I when Rodney special came out, that's when I first saw Dice. And, you know, I was a kid. I was like 11 years old. And uh, what you would call it. So I would watch these uh, like I'd watch the San Francisco big laugh off. It was uh, I'll never forget. It was uh, Marshall Warfield, yep. Ollie Joe Prater, Johnny Dark and the Reverend George Wallace. Ooh, and when yeah. I saw Marshall Warfield and George Wallace, I died. And I was probably about seven years old. And I'm like, I want to do that. And everybody always told me I was funny. And I was, you know, I just like, yeah, yeah. That comedy is for people, special people. I'm not a special person. Mm. So I get to LA and we're, I'm do, working on strange days at movie. I did some light stunt work for about five, six months on there. And then my best friend goes, we wrap the movie and she goes, if you don't go to the fucking comedy store and go do an open mic, I'm going to set you on fire. <laughs> Because through the whole movie, I was making everybody laugh. I was making, you know, the director, Catherine Bigelow, all those guys making people laugh and just being a clown. So I said, all right, I'll make you a deal because I was scared. I said, I will go to the comedy store and apply for a job as a cocktail waitress. If I get the job, that means I'm supposed to be in that building and I'm supposed to do stand up and learn the craft and do open mics and, and grow from there. If I don't get the job, that's God telling me, the universe telling me it's not for you. Go another direction. Of course, I walk in within 30 seconds. I had the job, of course. And and me and the day manager was a gay bear. We were kicking for about three hours. I met Paul. Pauly Shore came in. I met him and his assistant, Bobby Ludington, met his dog. And then Missy came in later. So I'm meeting all these people and I just got hired. So that's I started waitressing. I said, OK, I'm here now. Now I got to put up or shut up. So I did. So I worked on my little three minutes. And then yeah. like two and a half, three months later, I got on stage when I thought it was perfect. And they Did dragged me like on the stage. late night, late night stuff. Like by the time, you know, you get to about 1250 in the morning, they put you, she put you on. Yeah. When I got passed as a paid regular at the end of 99, the beginning of 2000, because I spent like four years working and I worked with Paul Mooney a lot and Dice took me under his wing back then. And Paul Mooney really pushed me and um, the legend. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I finally, you know, Mitzi already loved me at this point. And at this point, waitresses weren't allowed to talk to comics because her husband ran off with a cocktail waitress to Las Vegas and they divorced. 
Oh yeah. So, well, but um, she got she got the comedy store and she, she, she got the good deal. She got the good deal. <laughs> she got the better end of the deal. He got a whore and she got a fucking France. She got an empire. <laughs> so God, Mitzi Shore, you're a queen, honey. So we weren't allowed. So when Mitzi came in, you weren't allowed to talk to comics. You had to keep your head down and just take orders and, and just, you know, shut your mouth because waitresses were trash to her. So I'm sneaking around on the potluck nights and, and the belly room shows and trying to sneak around to do stand up and all that, like Scott Day, the talent coordinator would hide me on the lists and Mike Becker, her vice president would, you know, they would all try to protect me and keep me out of her hair. And then one day they, she accidentally, they accidentally gave her the lineup for the employee comics to go on on Sundays. And she saw my name. And at this point she was already in love with me. I was doing every job in that fucking comedy store phones, accounting, assistant talent booker, waitressing, cover booth. I did it all. So she loved me. I was her all around girl. That's what she used to call me. So she saw my name and they panicked. Like she goes, Christy's a performer. And they're like, oh fuck, she's going to get fired. Oh, that's great. Oh, I love this. And they were like, Ooh, so, <laughs> you know, I know people watch the comedy store documentary, but that's, that's one part, which I wish Mike Bonder would have like called. Cause I was really the first waitress to really break that barrier between the doing between the stage and waitressing. Yeah, and then the, everybody the improv, the improv used to do that a little bit more, but not the comedy mm -hmm. store. Comedy store was unhurt because of what happened. Cause Mitzi was too bitter. Mm -hmm. And after that, then it got easier. And, and then I was able to go on anywhere. Then I showcased and she was so proud of me that I worked so hard and was able to showcase crush. And then she started giving me spots, but I asked her for the death spots. You know, I loved the Kinnison spot at midnight. Yeah. I, I loved going on like the headliner would go on at 10. So it'd be like Carlos Mencia, Joe Rogan, Dom Irera, Dice, whoever was in town, Eddie Griffin. If it was Eddie Griffin, you would never get on stage because he doesn't get off stage. Yeah, exactly. He's probably still on there now from 1996. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would ask Mitzi, give me the death spot because I want to be better. So I would follow Rogan after he dry humped the stool for an hour and a half. I would follow Carlos Mencia after going fuck after for an hour and a half and, or yeah, Dom yeah, swallowing the microphone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And fuck. You know, and it's just like. And I was like, I wanted those spots because that was like when they watched him, they do an hour, hour and a half. Then the crowd would get up to leave after they were done. And that's when I would go on. And I wanted to be able to handle that and get stronger. And that's how I got really strong. And I was grateful for those spots because I wanted the death. I didn't want it easy. So, yeah, that's that. Yep. I, I like I've been in the comedy store a few times and uh, I, I've seen Judah Friedlander. I've seen a uh, Brad Williams, a bunch of mm -hmm. others who do the death spot when there's mm -hmm. two people in there. There's it's two amazing. people left in the OR and it he kills. Yeah. It's just it's just crowd work at that point, And it makes you a better comic. It, it's like it's one thing if you're Argus Hamilton, who goes up at 815. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Argus that. Uh, yeah, I, I loved late nights at the comedy store. And when there was only like one or two people in there, I would have so much fun because that's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And I see, and that's how you could tell where a comic is of their career is a lot of these new jacks or these young guys will get intimidated by empty chairs. They don't focus on the one person sitting there ready to laugh. They're focusing on the other 150 empty chairs that are in the room. And they get all defeated and shit and start talking shit about the room. And I'm like, bitch, if you had a better name and drew a crowd, then you'd have people to talk to you, fucking loser. 
And mm-hmm. I've gone on after them and just destroyed the comic and just made them feel bad about themselves. That's what's great about it. And and especially like you like you were talking about, you were there at the beginning during the lean years. So mm-hmm. you started seeing when the comedy store and the comedy scene in L.A. was starting to come back again. Yeah. So you you saw it firsthand from being the because, you know, you talk to so many of the comics from the 80s and they talk about the boom and everywhere right. you go there, they either got paid in green or white and everything. Yep. And uh-huh. so you basically got your start during the lean years yep. and then you saw the rise. So that's kind of an interesting perspective. Yeah, it's uh, I'm really I mean, of course, uh, my my tenure at the comedy store, those 10 years I was there was the dry years, was the lean years of the dark time. And of but course, I had to be there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I missed the you know, I was too young to be in the 80s boom. And I left when the uh, the, the 2010 boom hit like the 08, the 09, Rogan, Joey Diaz, all that. No, Rogan and Diaz. I, Rogan and Diaz were there when I was there. They were Joey Diaz got there a couple years after I did. And I remember when he first got Joey Diaz is probably one of my favorite human beings in the world. And he's probably the coolest guy, the greatest storyteller on earth. And Uncle Joey, that's my heart. He owns my heart. I love that man. Um, but they, it was so fun because we were just such a, we really stuck together as comics. Like that was our home. Even if you didn't have a spot that night, you still went to the comedy store and it wasn't like it is here in New York where it's like, ew, you don't have a spot. You're just hanging out. You're a loser. Ew. Like, ew. And it's just like, gross, go fuck yourself. You know, and, well, and the- Mitzi treated as kind of a college. That, that yeah. was at the beginning for when, you know, mm-hmm. people, if they want to go back in history, they want to talk about the um, the where there was a big strike in the late 70s, early 80s with mm-hmm. guys like Leno and Letterman that yeah. uh, Mitzi considered. I mean, except for like maybe a Jackie Mason or if Richard Pryor was going to perform at the comedy store, they didn't pay comics in those days. No. And she considered it like this is a college. You're you are trying to get you to graduate. So you perform. And, you know, obviously the merit was a that, showcase you know, club. That's what yeah. she considered it. You're showcasing for Hollywood in my club. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but you should still be paid. And the strike exactly. happened and. People Steve jump- Lubetkin, with the, the classic name, Steve Lubetkin, yep. jumped off of the hill the- next door to it into the park. It was the Hyatt. Hyatt. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. 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 He jumped out of the window and killed himself. And I'm like, for $15 spot. All right. I've seen yeah, worse. Sure, why, not? <laughs> why not do it, boo? You know, but Mitzi, you know, we used to call her the godmother because Mitzi, like I would see her past people and go, what are you doing? They're terrible. But she saw something. You know, and I never questioned her, even though I would question her, but I would never question Mitzi because she always had, there was always, I, I knew if she saw something that I didn't see in somebody, and not like it mattered if I saw it, but it was just, I'm like, all right, Mitzi knows something because she had a sixth sense about it. There's never, ever, ever going to be another Mitzi Shore, ever. Was there anyone in particular that you saw on a stage or like, what, why is he or she on a stage, but Mitzi passed them or Mitzi let them, and then they eventually became like an A-list comic? I can name you a name right now. Sebastian Maniscalco. Mm. I was like, he's terrible. <laughs> uh, he sucks so bad. He sells out the garden every time he plays. Okay, my bad. Pardon me. But, you know, it's, you know, I thought he was terrible. I still don't think he's funny i get why he's so big he's got mm-hmm. a niche he has that italian community niche and that's fucking awesome and he's making millions of dollars fucking good for you sebastian i'm proud of you because i really thought i was like sebastian because she passed all the 
Italians at one point when the Sopranos was big, she wanted, she passed everybody Italian because she wanted that Italian roster. So if Hollywood came knocking on her door looking for Italian comics, oh, these are my guys, you know, and that's, she stockpiled them. Some of them yep. disappeared and never came back. And some became huge, you know, but Sebastian was one of those comics. I'm like, I don't see it. But, you know, I was young at the time too. I was in my twenties. So mm -hmm. what did I know? I'm in my fifties now. So, <laughs> you know, and I look back now I see what she saw. Cause I'm a lot more mature, a lot wiser. I have the reps under my belt. So, but back then I was like, Sebastian, oh, he's terrible. I kind of felt the same thing too, until I saw him there. I, I was in the main room and mm -hmm. it was like, it was him. It was Kurt Metzger, the Sklar brothers, a, a, a bunch of comics that were up there. The and and they, they bring up Sebastian. I'm like, oh, wow. I, you know, like it, it, this is the point where now he's selling out theaters. He's right. at the time, I think he was filming The Irishman. He did that mm -hmm. one part in The Irishman. And yep. he goes on stage and he's filthy. And I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's like, yeah. where's this guy? Instead, I hear him talk about the sausage and the peppers and, you yeah. know, my Italian family. I'm like, he's actually being filthy and funny. I'm like, where's that guy? I want to see you on stage. Yeah. And he's <laughs> because he was so he was so anal retentive and so goody goody. And he thought he was better than everybody. That's why I hated him because he was an asshole. I mean, I don't hate him. But I just thought he was a fucking, you know, an idiot. I'm like, oh, yeah. you think you're so you think you're so cute. You think you're so cool. Girl, bye. You know, I'm like, no, no, bitch. I don't give a fuck. You could do you. But, you know, we were like oil and water anyway. So we didn't mix very well. I was just talking to Earl Skakel on my podcast um, and uh, we were talking about one Brody. of my best friends. One yeah, of my best, er yeah. Earl's, Earl's one of my best know, friends. He, well, and then and then Brody Stevens, who unfortunately we lost him about four oh, years ago. My baby. Uh, that was a classic example of a comic that can clear a room where the only people laughing. And I remember being there. I was there several years ago and I'm in the back. I'm in the back row of the comedy store in the uh, original room. Uh -huh. And Brody's doing his is, you know, you got it. Uh, mm -hmm. Arms crossed negative. Arms crossed negative. You got it. Kettlebells. <laughs> yeah, or the or the uh, was it the, the something about the back hair clogging up the drain? Yes, yes. And he would repeat it. He's like, just I'm seeing if anybody's paying attention. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was funny because there was like three people in the entire place laughing, and I could tell all three of them were comics, including yeah. me. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny how there were there are some comics that they really are the comics comic. Brody Stevens, Brody Stevens was the comics, the comic. There's a list. There's Brody Stevens, Brian Holtzman. Um, yep. Uh, Holtzman's one of my favorite human beings ever in the entire world. Um, who else was it? There was another one. There's another comics comic. Like, it's like watching them. It's just, but those two are the one I can think of off the cuff, off the top of my head was bro watching Brody. How dare you? You don't do that. You know, and all his kettlebells, you got it. And all his Brodyisms. I'm crying in the back. I loved him so much. And watching Holtzman get angry and just clear a fuck, like the mm -hmm. crowd's killing. Here comes Holtzman and totally destroys the entire vibe in the room. And I remember one night they booked him on Fat Tuesday in the main room. Guy Tory put him on the main room. So we all... Like I ain't going on stage. I ain't doing shit. If Holtzman's on and Fat Tuesday, I want to see what the fuck happens. 
he bombed like Syria in there. It was so hilarious because they didn't, because I think he was nervous and he couldn't sell Holtzman. And he just, the crowd turned on him, you know, black crowds are hilarious. I mean, I grew up in black oh, yeah. crowds with Paul Mooney and just when they turn, it's so, it was so hilarious and I'm dying. I'm in the back crying because he's bombing, but I love him. Like he's my favorite comedian as a comic, but it's just watching comics. Comics are just, Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And it's so special that, and yeah, I miss Brody. I was, I was talking to Frankie Pace. Do you know who he is? The, my godfather. Yep. Frank, uh, I was, I, I was on the phone with him a couple of days ago. We were talking about old Otto and George stories. Oh and my God. <laughs> you want you want to talk about a comic who can clear a room and the only oh. people left are the comics. That was Otto Peterson with Otto and George, where he'll just go up there like, you know, Pope wrote content. <laughs> He's doing the, the, the JFK assassination oh, bit for I the 10,000th time. And he'll he'll offend an audience. He'll make audience members cry. Yeah. And yet the only people are left are the comics in the back of the room. Yeah. Have, did you hear the story about the time George was fight uh, uh, an audience member was drunk and got in a fight with George and wanted to fight the puppet. I've heard I've heard a and, couple of these and he didn't want he did he couldn't grasp that Otto was the puppeteer. Mm -hmm. He couldn't grasp that Otto was doing the voice. He thought that puppet real and it was the <laughs> oh my god. I haven't laughed so hard in my fucking life. This dude was going to beat up a puppet. He, he didn't even fat. He couldn't even register that Otto was the guy behind it. It was just so great. He's like, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right here. And I, just I'm still friends with his uh, girlfriend, Trish, and she's, Aww. she's great. And, um, is some of those stories of him where like he was a street performer in those yeah. days. Like, yep. uh, like Charlie was a Charlie Barnett, I believe his name is. Yeah. And, um, he was in New York. He would play all the, 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 the ferry boats and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he eventually developed his, his act in the seventies into from being like a regular ventriloquist to being kind of a filthy ventriloquist. And yep. by the eighties, he was so in demand, but then he would perform in central park. And that was the classic story about where he's just telling all these jokes. And there was, there was a Hispanic guy who comes up and stabs the puppet caught a little bit of Otto's hand. He caught Otto's hand and, and through George, he says, this spick stabbed me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so classic. Like, uh, like all the good ones are gone. It seems like, you know what I mean? Like Otto, I forgot. I didn't even think about Otto and George being a comics comic. Like there's another, I don't know if you know, like, like a lot of the old school East coast guys, uh, like, do you know, Gemini? Oh yeah. I've, I've worked with Gemini. Oh, uh, He's got his hey, share of puppets hey, too. Hey, hey, let me show you a trick. You know, I, <laughs> working with Gemini is the first time I worked with him because, uh, like, it was me, Mark Riccadonna, Richie Byrne, Gemini, yep. like the, all these guys. I know all this, of them. Yep. Those are my brothers. And the first time I, like, I worked with Gemini in lockdown. And I haven't laughed so hard on a Zoom show in my entire fucking life than watching Gemini tell a story at his computer. And I'm, tears and i'm like i need to work because i was you know I, i'm a west coast girl so all the old school east coast people i didn't really get to grow up with so i slow i met them all in lockdown because we're all in different circuits and uh you know you're muted right yeah oh yeah my, okay. my cat is howling in the background oh it sees another cat and i'm like oh jesus of course as soon as i'm doing a podcast another cat wants to come up and <laughs> fuck with my cat these are all the cool cats that's why of course <laughs> So yeah, but you, 
we worked together out in Philly, like outside of Philly at this little theater. And I scared the shit out of it. Cause you know, me being me, you know, my mm-hmm. style, you know, I could get abrasive and I roast and I just oh, yeah. go in, I go after you. He didn't know what to do. He's like, ah, 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 I'm a little scared of her. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, she's going to kick my ass. I don't, I don't know what to do. And Mark's dying and he's getting nervous. So I'm trying to get him to play. Like I'm trying to get him to throw it back. Cause I know he can throw it back. The guy is sharp. The guy is so fucking quick on his feet. So I'm trying to play with him, but he doesn't know me and I'm a woman. So, and he's like an old school Italian. So he's afraid to banter because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what he can get away with and what's inappropriate. And I'm just, and Mark's dying because I'm drilling at Gemini and Gemini's freaking out and getting nervous and starting to shake. And he's like, ah, ah. I, Mark, I don't know what's going I I don't know what to do. She's scaring me. I, I can't handle this. And he was like freaking out and he was getting up and walking around and we were dying. And I'm like, you're such a pussy. But then after the show, we bonded instantly. Like we were totally like bonded. And, but it was just so funny because I can, I love fucking with people like that, that mm-hmm. don't know that are old school. And I just start going in on them. And I, it's for me, it's fun, but I like to test you like to see if not, not in a negative way, but like test you to see you know, because I, I think it's a respect thing. You know, when you oh, can yeah. roast each other, that's a real trust and respect. And if you could dish it back to me, I'm your best friend. If you could drag me through the, if you could read me for filth, I am in. I am so right next to you. Bitch, dish it out. I love to be roasted. So, well, I mean, that's uh, well, especially when, so you came from, you were out in California, you go to New York and you see this firsthand. Now, you were at the, you know, you remember the comedy seller, the, the seller table and everything, the yep. Nick DiPaolo's, the Patrice O'Neill's and everything. So oh, you were Patrice. there at that time, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's, it's it's not the seller table, as we all know, is not the same anymore. No, oh, no, 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 no. It's a but, lot. Different but you got now. to see a little bit more of that East Coast ball busting when you mm-hmm. ended up moving across the country, especially when Patrice was still alive. Like he was the master. And I felt like I was. When I met Patrice, because I was, you know, when I moved here, I was at Caroline's every week with Paul Mooney. So that's where I was. So the one night I finally got to meet Patrice and he was the early show and we were the late show. So we were talking, he goes, who's this white girl? And I said, oh, I opened for Paul Mooney. I'm Christy Miller. I'm from the comedy store. And he goes, oh, you work with Mooney? I ain't fucking with you then. (laughs) And he goes, you, and he shakes my hand. He goes, you must be funny if Mooney's fucking with you. And I said. I like to think so. And I had mad respect from him at that point. And then him and I sat there and trashed Lisa Lampanelli. And then we were friends. And But it's like getting roasted by Patrice. That's when you feel like I've made it. I'm funny. When Patrice roasts you, it's like it's such a badge of honor mm-hmm. that more than any other comic to me, Patrice was the one was like, that was my badge of honor getting roasted by him. I, I saw him a couple of times. I saw him in 2006 when he was part of the Opie and Anthony universe and mm-hmm. they did a show and everything. And I thought Patrice was really good, but that was the same. That was the only time I got to see Otto, which was right. You know, and it, it saw Rich Voss, which I've worked. I think I've worked with Voss more than any other comic. Um, but um, but when I saw Patrice, he was good. By 2010, when I saw him again, he's doing clubs again. He was otherworldly uh-huh it was it was a religious experience to go see patrice o'neill because of how much he had grown through at the, the early days of doing podcasts because it mm-hmm. wasn't just you weren't just going to see patrice on a comedy stage 
you had to hear him as a radio guest. You had to hear yeah. him as a podcast uh, or a radio host when he was doing some XM radio stuff. Yep. There was way more to the Patrice O'Neill universe that people didn't know until, of course, after he died or of did course. the Charlie Sheen roast. Yeah. And it was it was inc- when I saw him, uh, what, about a year and a half before he died, he was uh, like, I couldn't believe it, like standing ovation yeah. type of like Sunday e- early evening crowd giving him a standing ovation. He was yep. that good. He was he was a monster. He and the fact that we lost him. Is just that's like a real, that's a real loss to the comedy scene because we lost that voice. We lost mm. that, you know, that powerhouse. And Patrice was pushing boundaries and talking about shit people were afraid of or people couldn't sell because they couldn't commit the way he committed. Yep. And to watch people get upset with him was the funniest thing ever. Like when he would go after these whores and shit and they would get really mad at him. I would be dying laughing, but he would just, he didn't give a fuck. And he's like the true, like, you know, working with Paul Mooney, you know, it's, that was, that's a whole nother level, but watching, you know, at our level and, you know, at our generation, watching someone like Patrice just like power through and not, and people hating him and people not wanting to book him and people shunning him and not giving him spots and telling him he's too rough for the room. Cause I get told the same shit. By a lot of clubs. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, when I left Paul Mooney, they were like, oh, you open for Paul Mooney? Yeah, you're probably too rough for our room. And I'm like, you didn't even watch me yet. Yeah. So, you know, a lot they, of they want a Christy Miller. They want a Patrice O'Neill, but they don't want Christy Miller and Patrice O'Neill. They exactly. want somebody kind of like them. Yeah. It's like, we, we want, uh, it, so it was like, we don't want Bill Hicks. We want Dennis Leary. We want somebody who's kind of like you, who takes, the, well, your we want a copycat. Yeah. We want a copycat <laughs> who can't sell who you really are. You know? So it's just like, it, I went through a lot of problems with that stuff and, and being the way I am. So I just said, you know what? Fuck everybody. I'm just, st- I'm just going to pave through what I do. You know, I got the record deal just out of COVID and on my own merit, thanks to Mark Riccadonna. He passed my a, a clip of me to a, a record company that he works with, and she loved him. Like she, she heard her husband that owned the record company. It's Realize Records. Her husband goes, "I don't give a fuck what we're working on. I want to produce this album and see what this girl's gonna say next." And to me, when you say that, that is the biggest honor because it shows that you see what I'm about, like what I'm about. And, you know, my, and you know, my comedy is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I say things in people's inside voices and I say it because it sounds so ridiculous. Like, do you hear what we're, what we're all upset about? Do you hear what the controversy, like, this is so dumb. You know, this is, we're, we're all idiots for worrying about stupid shit like this. And I'm like an inside voice telling that you're afraid to say, so I say it for you. And yeah, here, here's the line. I'm going to intentionally jump over it. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, I'm like, so, so I got to ask you because well, there it is brutally yours. Uh, yes. If you're watching on the uh, YouTube or rumble right now, <laughs> but uh, go check it out. I, I would assume where, where can we find that by the way? Uh, iTunes, Apple music, Spotify, title, Amazon music, anywhere you stream your music, it will be there. Go, well, go, go buy it, go buy it. Don't you, don't just listen to it. Go buy it, support your artists, support Patreon and support all that kind of stuff. It's, yes. you know, I, there's a lot of people in the audience that they do as much as things have become very homogenized. People do like to support the arts and everything. And Oh yeah. 
really well, going I, out there. People and people ask me because of my style of comedy. Uh, that my first question I always hear is, "Aren't you afraid of getting canceled?" And I'm like, "No, because I'm not attacking anybody. I come from a place of love, and I call a spade a spade, and I throw myself under the bus just as fast, if not faster." And the beauty of doing this album was in the audience. I had, and and the engineer uh, brought this up. He goes, I cannot believe what a wide array of communities in your audience. You have trans men and women, because I have a, you know, trans men and women love me because I speak for, you know, I I stand by their side and support them. I don't Mm -hmm. speak for them or tell them what to do. I just stand by and support. I don't give a shit. Be, do, if it makes you happy, I want you to be happy. And whatever it is, you'd be happy. I got you. And then I had just my regular gays. And then I had twinks and then I had my blacks. I had my, my gangster blacks and I had my MAGA Staten Islanders. I had my waspy liberal Connecticut's. And then I had all my comedians in the back. And it was just nice to see all these different demographics in one room laughing at the same jokes at the same time, having a good time together. And I'm like, this is what this is about. This is what com- comedy will save the world. Comedy will save, and we always do. And to vilify stand-up comedy, and or even to vilify drag queens, like, why don't we let let's get the problems at hand? That like you're 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 displacing your bullshit. Let's take accountability for our crap and handle yep. the real problems in this country. You know, we're all a family in this country. We're a big country. We're a diverse country, and it's beautiful having all these different faces and and all these different types of people. And we're all the same. So let's just get together and just stop fighting and start uniting and start blowing this shit up and taking care of each other. But first thing to do, you got to start laughing at yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that, that's one thing uh, when it comes to writing material that everything's been so serious lately with politics and social issues and everything. It's like, all right. But then also at the same time, it's you got to find the funniest thing. And then when I see a lot of comics are like, oh, boy, that's going to offend somebody. It's like, well, as soon as you start putting it through that filter, then it stops becoming funny. You start peeling away the potential funny. If you, like you said, you've worked in front of how many black audiences? Are are you going to sit there and tame your material? No, they actually will really give it up for you if you are Mm -hmm. funny. If you're going to go up there, like, I I, I love working in front of black audiences. mm -hmm. If you're real and you are unapologetically you on that stage and you commit to your material, and you don't give a fuck and you're as real as you can get, you can sell anything. The crowd is going to go with you because they they smell weakness. They're like piranhas. They can smell blood in the water. And mm-hmm. if you have any hesitation, like, oh, this might offend somebody, they're going to smell that and they're yep. going to destroy you. That's why. And if you don't have a fear and if you don't and if you just don't give a shit and you don't put there's no anger behind it. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no, you know you know, defense nerd knee jerk reaction to a certain demographic that you're going after or talking about or whatever it is that the joke's about. It's going to sell if it comes from love, ball busting, lighthearted silliness. And a lot of people go up, they're very angry. They have a chip on their shoulder. Well, I see all these other comics making it and fucking uh, I'm better than they are. You hear this all the time. You know, you're like, I'm funnier than them. How did he get that? Fuck that guy. And they get that and they carry that anger. It's like a cancer. And they carry it with them. And then and then it starts seeping out on stage. And then they start tanking over after a while. They don't write new material. They don't stay with the times. They don't stay current. 
They just stay bitter in their little box and just with all the what about isms. What about me? What about my shit? What about this? Shut up and just be funny, you fucking <laughs> asshole. God damn. I'm going to open a comedy club called Nobody Cares. Be funny. Exactly. I, I, book me. Uh, at least let me do a guess set. <laughs> 100%. Come on in. You're in, so, honey. So last thing I want to ask you, we'll wrap uh, wrap it up in a couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the fitness aspect. Yes. It, which, you know, I see a lot of comics that, you know, it, you don't even have to go Ralphie May or John Panette, but there's, you know, oh, comics are like, they focus on their material. You don't see a lot of them are like, yeah, I'm in the gym. I'm, I'm working on my macros right now. It's like, no, comics are sitting there smoking weed and, you know, Thinking eating out. at a diner at three, three thirty in the morning. Yeah. You're Pound kind of the drinks. opposite. You've been yeah. somebody who is, you're definitely in the gym. You're a power lifter. Uh, as you said, uh, before we got on, you were, <laughs> you were deadlifting Gino Bisconti. Yeah, I, I squatted Gino and I squatted Gavin at Compound Media. I did that for Aaron Berg. Well, yes, of course. Yeah, you got to You got to you got to make Aaron laugh. You know, we love after I roasted him that day and made him feel bad about himself. I had to, like, redeem myself and make him laugh. So. I, I, I will say it was it was a badge of honor for me. Mm-hmm. A couple of times Aaron complimented me on my physique one time. We were at a cigar shop. And uh-huh. then when I worked with him and Luis J. Gomez a couple of months ago, we went to a mm-hmm. powerlifting gym and he's like, Sexy. wow. And like Lewis comes up to me. He's like, it's like, Doug, you're in really good shape. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> and like, I was keeping up with them. I was happy about it, but obviously Aaron, who's five foot two or whatever he is, but he, <laughs> him and I Brian, mean, him like and Brad Williams, shithouse. he's Brad Williams stunt double, <laughs> <laughs> but he's built like a brick shit house, And yeah. he, he does watch himself. He's sober now and everything, but you yeah. know, you don't see, I love my Berg. I love him. But a lot of comics don't, they're not in the gym. I don't know if it takes away from their potential material or whatever the case is. But I think, that it's just pure laziness. Um, it's also all the weed and alcohol. It's the late hours. And they just don't, they're like, fuck it. I'm a comic. I don't have to lift weights. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a comic too. And I don't have to either, but I want to. That's my Zen. That's where I work out material in my head. I mm-hmm. get stress out. I, I'm happy. I'm empowered. And there's times one night I was, I was doing a heavy deadlift program, Ed Cohn. I do his 10 week program when I'm going to get my deadlift up 20, 30 pounds in 10 weeks. And uh, for those who don't know Ed Cohn, he's probably one of the greatest power lifters of all time. The guy's like this big and deadlifted like a thousand was 1100 pounds or a thousand pounds. I forget. Uh, but he's, his deadlift program is brutal. So I'm in the middle of this program and I'm towards the end and this program will wipe you. The, you can't do anything else the rest of the week. It's so brutal. And I remember in the middle of that program, I was booked to headline this show. It was here. It was at Broadway Comedy Club. But it was in the Red Room. And um, and that's not even, this is, this is me being weak. This is coming back because I hadn't lifted 300 pounds for forever. And it felt so good to pull that off the floor again. But I used to do that for reps. Isn't that sad? I used to rep the shit out of this. I would do five sets of five and not even be sweaty. And I was going for 405 beltless and rapless. <laughs> I always curtsy after my lifts. That's my thing. Um, but uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, uh, so I was so zapped. But I found lifting weights and then going and headlining. It just totally aligns everything in my brain. And everything just comes out smooth. Like I'm totally oh, yeah. in my body and I feel empowered 
and just wreck the room, just fucking destroy it. Because it's like, that's my, if I don't lift, I can't sleep. And I can't, it's just, it's my Zen. That's my weed, I guess. It's my drug of choice. It's, it's wonderful. And I, I noticed that too, because when I would do more stuff on the road, I would always find a gym, you know, I would go to a planet shitness or whatever. <laughs> Oh. whatever whatever in that area but i would need to find a gym to go to and i really enjoyed doing that and you know I, whether i'm doing cardio or lifting before a set but it does kind of clear some stuff and mm-hmm. I, I realize you know because a lot of comics will you know they'll get they'll get drunk they'll smoke a bunch of weed and they'll start writing material for me it's like i think i've written half my material either on a treadmill or on a bench press in between sets oh yeah i've written half my material deadlifting squatting yeah or benching like whatever when i'm in the gym because then i'm in my zone and i'm all isolated my earphones are on and i'm isolated from the world because i don't Mm -hmm. like lifting with people i only lift the only person i really like lifting with is ellen stein the the 70 year old power lifter that i don't know if i told you about did i mention that i've done so many podcasts well my one of my best friends she's a world champion power lifter she still competes to this day she just competed a week and a half ago at the xpc in ohio She's 70 years old, five feet tall, 130 pounds. She pulled, uh, she squatted 400. She pulled 435 and she benched 210. She missed her third bench attempt, but she still pulled over a thousand pounds. She's 70. 70. Well, 70. And we have really shitty diets in in nowadays. (laughs) That's that's one of the problems is that it's like, (laughs) hey, it's like, I need a pre-workout meal. Well, McDonald's has uh, two McDoubles for five bucks. I guess I'll go there. It's like, yeah, that's really going to help you. And especially when you're on your way home and Panda Express and Chipotle are right next to your gym. Exactly. Well, it's like, and you know, being on the road, it's really hard to maintain your program. Like I go to Nashville on a regular basis. So where I stay in Nashville, yeah. Well, I go, the food is terrifying. Um, So I I just, because I stay at my friend Kelly's house. She used to be a waitress at the comedy store back in the 90s when I started. So we've been friends ever since. But she has a, she works out, she lives out there now. So she lives in Bellevue and down the street, like a five minute drive and like a 75 day walk is a, a Gold's Gym. So I, they, you know, they know me in there. So I go there frequently. And so when I go out there for shows, I stay with Kelly and I'm like, you know, the drill, bitch, get up, take me to the gym. I got to go lift weights. But it's the only time on the road that I'm really at a good gym where I can actually keep up with my program. Otherwise, you know, hotel gyms suck. They're terrifying. You know, there's it's all bullshit stuff. Are you like, okay, or if I know I'm not going to be at a gym, I bring my TRX and I bring some bands and I'm like, this is gay. Does anybody have a car I can push? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, although, although I'm I'm happy for them because when I do see people in there, like I don't judge. Look, if you if you're on a treadmill, I don't care if you're watching like, uh, the, you know, the la- final season of Succession on your iPad while you're on a treadmill. At least you're there. Like I I don't judge with that, but for me personally, if I'm at a gym and it's it's a treadmill, it's an elliptical, and you have uh, dumbbells that go up to about 25 pounds, I'm like I'm not really getting much out of this one today. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's, I've been to gyms like that, the hotel gyms. And, uh, one, one time I went to Nashville, Raylan Nelson, Willie Nelson's granddaughter, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a band, but she hires me sometimes for private shows and, and stuff that she's doing. She'll hire me. So she'll fly me out in the hotels. There's like some, uh, what is it? The, a Peloton treadmill. And I'm like, first of all, those two words are disgusting to me. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and 
I'm like, can I lift this? Do you mind if I move this treadmill across the room? Is that cool? You know, <laughs> I need something heavy. And they had the heaviest dumbbells they had were 25. So I was doing squat presses for like a hundred reps going, okay, let me just do this until I drop dead because there's no room in this gym. And there was some other idiot that worked there that was working out. And I'm like in this little tiny space. I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's squat press. That's it. Fuck it. I don't even care. And it was just so, it's so funny. Like it's just, it's so hard on the road to maintain when you're a lifter to yeah. stay on your program. So that fucks me up a lot too. I think but, if you're a lifter, if you're somebody who just does cardio and you could, you, you can do that anywhere. Miles. Yeah. yeah. It, I just throw matter. a jump rope in my bag. That's why they're like uh, where I am not, not far out of Akron. Uh, Aaron Berg loves this gym. Every time he comes to town, I think the only reason he books coming to my area is that there's this great bodybuilders gym. Uh huh. Yeah. So I love working towns that have a great gym. I'm like, where's the gym? Like if I get booked, I'm like, all right, is there a gym within like a 10 minute walk or 15 minute walk? I'm good. I don't care. I don't need a car. I'll just walk. I don't give a shit. I'm a New Yorker. That's what we do. And yeah. So it's, if there's a good gym or I'll have to find the gym and then find someone to take me every day. But other than that, I just, it's so, I get excited when I'm booked in a city that has a killer gym close by. And then I get excited. It's sad, well, but I do. Yeah. The bodybuilders gym in Akron, maybe we'll have to get you at the funny stop. Yes, let's do it. I'll talk to, I'll talk to Pete. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in there. Talk to Pete, give him my album. Let's do it. And, and, and do the show with me. Wait, what, uh, what, what album is that? As I oh. share the screen, <laughs> there it is. I was trying to stall and I, I fucked myself up there. No worries. Brutally yours, Christy Miller there. Yes, it's it's Brutally Yours. You can get it on Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Tidal, anywhere you stream or buy your music. That's fantastic. Well, hey, Christy, thanks so much for doing the podcast oh, here. Let's you, uh, let's push the album. Oh, any other plugs? Where can we find you on social media? Do you have a podcast or anything like that? Yes, you can find me at Christy Miller Comedy on all the socials and YouTube. Um, follow me there. You can follow my new podcast, uh, which you'll have to do. It's old school, new school comedy podcast. So I'm the old school. Aaliyah Janine is new school. Mm -hmm. you know, do you know Aaliyah Janine? Yeah, she's the re reformed porn star. <laughs> yes, she's yeah, she's been overhauled. I love her and she's hilarious. So we do. I She's my co-host. So we do. We just have. We have bookers, producers, managers, brand new open mic comics to old school, like comics like Rob Bartlett have done the show. Do you know Rob Bartlett? He I know did, Rob. Yep. Yeah. He's fucking hilarious. And then I had this new girl that I've never heard of named Rebecca Rheingold. She was adorable. Only a year and a half in just getting her experience being a newbie. And then we've had uh, Gina Savage, the manager of the Comedy Cellar on the show. And she's been a booker and a manager for 25 years in New York City. And then uh, we had Mark Riccadonna on this last week, which was a fun episode. And Berg's going to come on. We just got to work with his schedule because he can't do Sundays. And that's when we record. So Berg, you fucking asshole. Give me your schedule. <laughs> and uh, well, that, that, yeah, so you can well, follow us at oldschool.newschool.podcast on Instagram. And if you love me, follow me at Christy Miller Comedy. If you hated me, I'm Kathy Griffin. <laughs> well i I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in new york or uh if i could get you over to uh my neck of the woods at a great comedy club i know berg loves going to the funny stop so there's a lot of a lot so of people does, so who... does yeah rick adonna does too he loves the funny stop yeah him he and don it. jameson they do like the heaven and hell tour yes they do and rick adonna and i do the naughty and nice tour 
Yes, 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 yes. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, <laughs> yeah. Mark's a great guy. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about funny stop and do the show with me. I would love that. I would love love that too. Yeah, let's talk off the air. But uh yeah, I appreciate it. thanks again for coming on. Oh, and honey, thank uh, you let's... for having me. Thank you so much. You're amazing. You guys you. follow him. Support buy his Patreon, you fucking cheap bastards. That's right. Otherwise, I need to uh, I need to do more uh, open mics, I guess, to try to get. <laughs> otherwise, I will come and, and squat you and drop you out the fucking window. All right. Yeah, otherwise, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Check Your Brain podcast. My name is Tony Mazer. If you liked what you heard, I've got more. It's on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. Go check that out for as little as three bucks a month, three, five and ten dollar tiers. If not, Every Wednesday, this podcast goes out for free, or you could check out my YouTube or Rumble pages. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Check Your Brain podcast. We'll be back with more content for you for free next Wednesday. If not, if you want to subscribe, you'll have some more tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye now.